Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 183 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast. Recorded Thursday, July 17, 2014, live on trekradio.net and available for download or streaming as of Monday, July 21st, 2014 at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Jace. I'm Cookie. And I'm Elijah. And in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Skiffy. Woohoo! Hello, everybody. Hey, Skiffy. So, what do we have in store this week, Cookie? This week, we'll skip check it out and jump right into STO news because season 9.5 has hit Holodeck. That means the new crafting system is now in the players' hands, and we're here to give you our first impressions. Also, the Zindi lockbox slipped through with this update, and that includes new ships, genetic resequencers, boffs and doffs, weapons, and much more. We're also joined by user interface artist Thomas the Cryptic Cat Maroney to talk about the UI changes in Season 9.5, including the creation of the new crafting, aka R&D system, as well as the standardization of the new Odyssey uniform. Captains, because of your loyal support of Priority One Podcast, Cookie, Jace, and I will have the opportunity to represent you at this year's Star Trek Las Vegas convention. We say it every week, Captains. Without you, none of this would be possible. And this campaign proves that more so than ever. To thank you, we're working on improving our equipment so that we can provide you with as much coverage throughout the weekend and on and off the convention floor. If conditions permit, we hope to conduct after-hour live streams and live Q&As for our backers that couldn't attend. So, if you haven't already, visit PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash campaign and find out how you can get access to the exclusive channels. Speaking of thanks, we owe a huge thanks to those who have already contributed. That's right. A big thanks to Josh Letherland, Kevin Cook, Neela Detan, Christine Thompson... DJ Sakes, Soteriosa 1, A Rivera 3, Tawani, J Sparks 55, and Nick Duguid. RPB 0000. Elijah Stair. Traveler 1345. Starfleet Canada. J Galloway 99. Ed 951. Matt Miracle. Steve Roberts. Glenn Woody Valley Hine, Chantel Turner, Shanny, <laughs> Pawn N, Ian Rowdy Tartan Lad, Kesh Mar Curly Hair, Stoked Radio, MD Green Jeans, Gray Fox James from LibertyTaskForce.com, 
Stu69, and Brett Klusa. Thank you for committing to supporting Priority One at this year's Star Trek Las Vegas convention. There's still time left on the clock. Any additional funding will go back to the development of the show, including improved equipment, software, and support services. So, uh, Jace, I got a quick question for you. Did you uh, did you place your order yet? Actually, yes. I'm also getting a Sierra uniform similar to yours, but in science blue, and I'm very excited. Nice. That's fantastic. Science. That means that all three of us will be in uniform. That is so exciting. And we're going to wear them on Saturday, everyone, if you guys want to match us. I may actually wear it a few times throughout the convention just so I can, you know, get some use out of it. You know, like I don't want to wear it just one day. So I may wear it and, like, leave it opened and it'll be the Priority One t-shirt underneath, like kind of like a Superman kind of thing. Oh, I like that. I like that. Clark Kent kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm super excited. And, Captains, I was so, so happy with the quality of the costume that I received from CosplaySky.com. And I would recommend it. I've recommended it to the team, and I've recommended it uh, to anybody who's considering going to a convention because I am absolutely pleased. Not only am I pleased with the quality, but I'm pleased with the turnaround and the cost of the uniform. I ordered it on Monday, and I got it seven days later for under $150. That's just unbelievable. A jacket and pants. So, captains, visit PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash CosplaySky and save 10% on your order by using promo code P, the number one, P-O-D. That's P-1-P-O-D at checkout. You'll save yourself 10%, which is astounding. So if you're going to Vegas, if you're going to any convention this year, or heck, if you got to do groceries... Halloween party, whatever the case may be, you'll get some amazing tailored uniforms from Cosplay Sky. If you're a Star Trek fan, if you're a Marvel fan, you can get yourself some amazing uh, uh, Captain America outfits that I saw, Doctor Who, Sherlock, you name it, they've got it. So visit again, PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash CosplaySky.com. Use promo code P, the number one P-O-D, P-1-P-O-D, at checkout and save 10%. Because, Captain, you're out of uniform. We thank Cosplay Sky for their support of Priority One Podcast. Well, Captains, let's find out what Season 9.5 brought to Holodeck in STO News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. All right, Captains, our first piece of Star Trek Online news this week is that systems designer Jeremy Randall made his first post about the new Zindi lockbox and presents all the goodies inside. The lockbox is chock full of goodies, Captains, and we won't be going through each and every detail, so we encourage you to visit StarTrekOnline.com to find out everything you can find in the lockbox. But for those of you who may not be fans of the Enterprise TV series or maybe just haven't gotten around to watching it on Netflix, the Zindi were the main antagonist in Season 3 of the series. Inhabitants of the Delphic Expanse, all of the Zindi developed on the same planet and united under one government after a brutal war led to the extinction of the Zindi avian species and the destruction of the Zindi homeworld. Now, here's a spoiler alert in case you haven't watched Star Trek Enterprise yet. In the mid-22nd century, the Zindi attacked Earth, killing millions in Florida. However, the Zindi were nothing more than pawns for a trans-dimensional race trying to reconfigure our space. According to the blog, after the Zindi rejected the Sphere Builders, who were the real antagonists in Season 3, 
They chose to retreat from galactic society, devoting much of their resources to restoring the Delphic Expanse. The discovery of the Dyson Spheres in the Delta Quadrant and their connection to the Iconians has prompted the Zindi to come out of their self-imposed exile. So, what do you guys like most about the new lockbox? For starters, both of the ships, the Narsene aquatic carrier and the Contortrix, which is the reptilian escort, are very interesting and look like potential powerhouses. Lots of tactical options in both cases. The carrier has a commander and ensign tactical boff seat, plus a lieutenant commander universal, and four tactical console slots. Plus, they have unique frigate pets. The escort has the same tactical seats, plus a lieutenant universal, five tactical console slots, and five forward-facing weapons. I'd say these are close contenders alongside the Jem'Hadar Dreadnought Carrier and the Andorian Kumari Escorts, respectively. The Contortrix Escort is a little less of a glass cannon than the Kumari, I would say, which is nice. And the Narsene Carrier arguably has an edge with bridge officer slotting over the Jem'Hadar because of the Lieutenant Commander Universal, but I doubt the frigates will outperform Jem'Hadar attack ship pets. Of course, it's by far the minority of people that have both a Dreadnought Carrier and Jem'Hadar attack ship, so it's a pretty awesome ship. The thing I noticed about the pets is that uh, I think these are the first carrier pets to offer uh, mines. They actually use quantum mines. Yes, they are quantum mine launchers, and I'm pretty sure you're right. I checked the wiki after you mentioned that, and I didn't see any other type of uh, hangar pet that has mines. Now, it's, but does that really make a game changer? I mean, or all right, let's say for PvP, is that a big game changer? I mean, you know, no, most... Players are conscious of mines and, and in a PvP match probably would avoid that, don't you think? It's going to depend on how the AI uses them, which is what Skiffy was calling out earlier when we were discussing it. Um, but especially if you also use mines on your ship itself, you're going to have quite a spam of mines with, with frigates firing them out as well. Actually, you know what? Sunseal in the chat just said that the Elite Slaver uses quantum mines. Now, I'm curious, if anybody's used those, how's the AI uh, work with mines? Is it, is it intelligent in how it lays them, or does it just spit them out anytime the cooldown's done? That's what I'd love to know. So there's our first community question, Captains. Skiffy, why don't you repeat it? Uh, so our first community question is, uh, have you used any hangar pets uh, that use mines? Uh, I'm told by Sunseal that uh, the elite slavers use quantum mines. I'm curious if anybody has used them and has had success with them, and is the AI uh, capable of, of using them intelligently? And captains, we encourage you to leave your comments in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to the official forum post for this episode on StarTrekOnline.com. Oh, and you know what? I'll add one thing to that. I think it's the first hangar pet to have a mine bridge officer power because it actually has dispersal patterns. So I'm a big fan of the new genetic resequencers. I mean, vicious? That's pretty vicious. 2% 2% bonus damage plus 10% critical severity, and it'll stack up to five times? And I want me some of the uh, intense focus and pattern recognition. And the biomatter burst rifles. I mean, all I can think about from the description was the Needler from Halo. So I kind of want to get this weapon just so I can run around screaming, Needler, 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 Needler. Because that's all you used to do when you were Needlering in, in Halo. Anyway, Cookie, how about you? What do you like? Uh, what do you like most about this new lockbox ship? Um, well, I mean, there's lots of things, but the universal console that is equipped on the Narsene Dreadnought Carrier, the Cascade 
Resonance Catalyst sounds pretty good. I like how it causes ripples of energy to damage enemy ships and it can stack, but does that mean it will aggro every enemy in range? Because I don't really like that. Especially if I'm in conduit and I'm anywhere near the gateway. It will increase threat levels for any enemy ships that you hit with it as will pretty much any effect, but it really shouldn't be enough to pull enemies off of another target onto you. Oh, that's good. Moving on to some forum activity. The devs were out in force this week, starting off with a post about the Zindi Aquatic Mobili Frigate Hangar Pets, where Bordicus gave us some information. He says, Very rare and ultra-rare versions of the Mobili Frigates are already made and packaged, and they will be introduced in an upcoming patch. It was merely an oversight they weren't made available in the applicable stores on launch day. So, hang in there. I know Skiffy's chomping at the bits to try these things out. In another post from Bordicus, a total of 16 new duty officers are included in the Zindi lockbox. 8 Fed, 8 KDF. Each of these officers has a new active roster ability as well as an R&D specialization which allows them to be used to craft some of the high-end R&D recipes that unlock when you reach level 15 in an R&D school. Example, 360 arc beam arrays. They also come with a total of five traits, including Resolve. Just to shout one of these out that I was intrigued by, they have a matter-antimatter specialist that gives Gravity Well a, a periodic chance to disable engines. It's only for oh, a very short yes, time, yes. like a one-second disable, but man. Yes, yes, but that stacks, doesn't it? It'll check every second, so it has a 20% chance every second to knock them offline for a second. It's so nasty. That is pretty nasty. I wonder if that will also apply to the um, photonic graviton or the graviton photon torpedoes that you get from the Dyson rep. Hmm. I don't know. I was wondering if it would apply to the aftershock gravity wells from the other active duty gravitational scientist. But yeah, some edge cases there. We'll have to investigate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right, Captain. So... Big, big patch notes today with Season 9.5 hitting. And it comes, of course, with the revamped crafting system, a.k.a. research and development. Not to mention the now free and upgraded Odyssey and Bortoscu uniform and their new variants. Of course, there are changes to reputation and fleet item costs, which, by and large, have wound up being generally favorable for most items either went down in dilithium cost or stayed the same. In the patch, there was an upgrade to the new DOF UI, plus many additions to the foundry in terms of ships, materials, and uniforms. So I was only able to get online for a little while because the patch was obviously today and we're recording tonight, but I know Skiffy had his plan all laid out. So I thought he could jump in as a guest speaker to educate us on what he's seen so far now that the crafting system is actually live on holodeck. Yeah, the crafting system is out. I've had a chance to (laughs) dive in with both feet. I am, at the time of this recording, actually level 15 in all seven schools. It did cost a ton of dilithium to do. Uh, What what do you think the estimate was? uh, Upwards of seven mil. I, I... actually lost count what? yeah it's it's quite a bit it would have it would have been uh seven point i had it calculated out before on triple it would have been like 7.3 mil but then they increased the rates or they didn't increase the rates but what they did is the 20 hour project that you can uh queue every day uh they lowered the ex- uh, actual expertise that you get from that they lowered it down from um 
eight per time period to five per time period. I can't remember the, the math on that right now. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Uh, if you intend on, on shortcutting your way to the end, it's going to cost quite a bit. Um, I do recommend most people uh, may want to shortcut a little bit if you have a little excess to lithium. Uh, you could go uh, in one school, pick your favorite school, and level it up to at least three or four, and that unlocks more available slots so that you can queue more than one project at a time. I don't remember the math on this. The way that works is once you get one uh, school to level two, I think you unlock a second slot. Once you get it to level four, you unlock a third slot. Once you get one school to level 15, you unlock another slot. And when you get three schools to level five, you unlock another slot. And that can be in any order. So the 15 doesn't have to come first or the three fives don't have to be. You know, you can do that in any order you want. But being able to run five projects at a time is kind of nice because then you can queue five of those 20-hour projects and you know, either be leveling up several schools at once really quick or you know, at a, at a, at simultaneously or you can queue them all in one school and level up five times as fast. So that I, I recommend. So here's the problem uh, that I have and the, the little rant that I have for the moment. And keep in mind, it'll be a while before most people have to deal with this. But now that I'm at level 15, I'm actually looking at some of the numbers for what the XP requirements are to get past level 15. Uh, in case anybody's curious, uh, to get to level 15, you're going to need 630,000 uh, XP in each individual school. So if you're going with beams first, uh, you'll need 630,000 XP before you finally hit that level 15 mark, and that will unlock the special, um, uh, special build abilities, which in the case of beams would be the 360-degree uh, weapons. Um, past that point, it increases exponentially. Uh, at level 20, if you want to cross the level 20 threshold and be maxed, you will need 2,070,000 XP. Just over 2 million. That's one heck of an increase. I'm sorry, you said 2,070,000. That's one number? 2,070,000? 2,070,000, yeah. Uh, that is, I mean, essentially that's you know, four, uh, three times more uh, just to get to that threshold. Now, that would be okay, I think. Uh, I mean, that's going to take a really, really long time or a, a, a way more dilithium than anybody can even hold in their account. Uh, but the, what I was doing, I was doing some number crunching and some testing on triple with this, and at level 20, you don't get a huge increase in the skill for crafting. Uh, the XP requirements for each level... Uh, 16 through 20 are increased exponentially, but you don't get a huge benefit. It's still a linear benefit. You're still getting 10 more crafting skill per level. So where you have 150 uh, skill points uh, at level 15, at level 20, you only have 200. And it's not weighted any differently than the catalysts. So... Jason and I were talking about this before the show, and we were thinking that you know, for the for the investment to get to level twenty, you should at least have a, a better chance of crafting an ultraviolet. It, sh it should almost be a guarantee. But from what I'm able to determine, uh, if I want to craft a 360 degree beam array, uh, and I'm at level twenty, my base value would give me an 11 percent chance of an ultra rare, even at level twenty. 
I have a 0% chance at 15, so it is going up. But it's only an 11% chance at uh, at level 20. Now that can be boosted all the way up to right around 55. We're guessing. Uh, I didn't have the means to test that. Maybe 55% chance of an ultra rare if you're using two of the best consumable catalysts and uh, the best uh, uh, doffs that are out there. But I just find that to be quite a lot of work uh, and expense needed to get to uh, you know not that much further from level 15. So right now you're at 15. So you're not yet at 20? Uh, no, not even close. On, on holodeck, it would require, as you, as I indicated from the, the skill uh, amounts, it would just require a, a sheer huge expense amount to get uh, the amount of dilithium needed to get to level 20. As, well, especially in all schools. Yeah, it's beyond even an exponential increase. It's To speed through it. But So this is a little more than, that. from getting from like 15 to, to 20 is a little more than just your average reputation system. Yeah, it, it sure seems that way. I mean, the way the reputation systems is they do increase, uh, you know, at, uh, I guess it would be an exponent or close to an exponential level. But uh, what we're looking at here is from 15 to 20, uh, you can level from 1 to 15 uh, three, three more times over. And that's the amount of uh, work required to get to from 15 to 20. Am I making sense? There's probably a better way in one, in school, one in school. school. There's probably a better way to word that, and I'm not sure exactly how to put that. But yeah, it, it's, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. 15 to 20 is not just double the work. It's three times more. So I'm thinking that this is this because I I'm having a hard time wrapping my my brain around what you're saying, um, and I think that this is something that we should probably revisit in maybe a math segment. Maybe we can kind of analyze what's going on because you mentioned, for instance, you haven't yet tried it with the high-end catalysts, right? Well, the thing is, there's limits on how what ability we have to test that. But doing it with one catalyst, the math seems to be that there's, what would you call it, skiff? Not exactly diminishing returns. Uh, it almost feels like a diminishing return. I'm not exactly sure what your skill level does uh, in terms of math to the percentage changes in uh, what you're crafting. Because it's it's doesn't feel like it's linear. It feels like there's some you know, weird formula to it, and I haven't quite figured that out. Because when I add a plus 50 catalyst to some items, I get a some things give me a 10% uh, chance of an ultra-rare boost. Other times it gives me something else. So I, I'm not sure what that is. Hopefully, uh, maybe we can put something in the forums and maybe one of the devs could shed some light on that. That would be kind of nice to know. I know your main concern was, oh, it's going to be so outrageously hard to get to 20th. But see, my perspective was, okay, however long it takes, like maybe they mean that to be an ex a very long, like extremely dedicated user type of thing, which they did mention. But once you get there, you should really, I feel, reap the benefits. And like an 11% increased chance doesn't seem proportional. Like I don't think a lot of people will be motivated by that to put in the extra effort. But wait, I'm confused now because you said, but you're, okay, so you're at 15 now. How do you know that it's only 11%? Well, on Tribble, I managed to get up to 20 while this was in testing ah. in, in one school only, and that was Beams. Uh, so I'm able to switch over to Tribble and see what the numbers are now and kind of compare them. What I don't have on Tribble is uh, the, the Elite DOFs and the Catalyst to, to kind of test that out. So I might have to report back on what the Catalysts actually do. I, I was Based on what I'm able to determine what, from what's live and what I'm at with level 15, 
the math isn't any different at 15 than it is 20. There's no special weighting. It's just every 10 skill points gives you a little bit better chance. I, I don't think it's enough for, for the work and for the, the length of time or the finance uh, finances that's involved to get from 15 to 20. And keeping in mind that 20 is the max that you can get to each school, correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, also from Tribble, what I'm able to determine is once you hit... Two million and seventy thousand. You cannot earn above that amount. It it hard caps and and you'll never earn any more XP above that, unless they add more levels. It's it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of expense, and I I feel that the payoff just isn't there. Um, again, this could all change tomorrow because I, I think it, it, for most people, level fifteen's a still a long ways out, uh, and this might not be something that they have to uh, or are we're worried about right away, but hopefully they um, are able to figure out some better way to reward players that actually put that time and, and uh, money into get that high. Uh, I think Jace had a good point uh, in that if you had a really elite chance or a really uh, a really good skill um, at level 20, then that would kind of separate out the true master crafters to the, the general players. You know, because leave the work the same leave two million uh let that be level 20 and it'll just take a really long time or a really lot of you know a ton of effort to get there but uh once you're there you know the few people that make it can then do some really awesome stuff and don't have to worry about very rares they'll get ultra rares all the time uh okay okay and i think that's acceptable i think that that's that's pretty reasonable to think that if you're a maxed character in any school your chance of crafting an ultra rare should be more than just 15 percent it should probably be at least above 50 if not close to 50 percent chance of, of doing an ultra rare i would i would venture to say that from what you're describing the amount of work that it takes it should be above 50 percent it should be probably you know close to 75 percent chance of of generating an ultra rare item if you're going to invest that much time and effort and resources into getting to to uh, the max level, which is twenty for for your school, uh, you know times how many schools is it? You know twenty times seven at the moment. Seven schools, and they could yeah, add more so, tomorrow or you know any time. Right. So yeah, you're right. I think that that you know uh, fifteen twenty is a, might be a little low, and again, it's very early in the system's uh, adaptation. And again, we are reporting on this the day that it came out on July 17th. So things, of course, could change. And, you know, it's something that I, you know, I think we need to really sink our teeth into uh, and make sure that, uh, that hopefully it doesn't end up being that type of poor return on investment that you're describing. Because if that's the case, then, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to 15 and that's it. That's all I'm going to do is I'm not going to invest any more time above 15 if my return on investment is going to be, you know, going from 11% to 15% of of going ultra rare. No, I expect maybe 11% to 30% or 45% because of the amount of work I'm putting into getting from 15 to, to 20, which what you're describing is roughly around the same amount of effort it took you to get from 1 to 15. Uh, even more than that. Three times more. Or more than yeah. that. Three times that's, that's, yeah, it's like getting three schools to fifteen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's 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 pretty high. So, and, and that's the point. That's also the point that Jace had earlier. Uh, is that uh, right now we if if we were at level twenty, if I was at level twenty, I would have a, a roughly fifty five percent chance of getting an ultra rare. 
that's with the best doff that's out there and with two of the best consumable catalysts that are out there. So, you know, a master crafter shouldn't have to need or have a reliance on catalysts to get them to just a 50 to 55 percent, you know, ultra Right, okay, yes, 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 yeah. you're right. You're right. I to, would be to, fine with not being able to get to 100 percent without catalysts. That would make sense to me. With catalysts barely hitting 50, 55 percent, assuming we're right, which we can't prove yet, that would be a little light. So, Captains, in your experience with the crafting uh, system thus far, from Thursday to now Monday, when you're listening to this episode, what has your experience been, and uh, what do you have to report back about the crafting system, a.k.a. R&D? Let us know in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the forum post for this episode on the Star Trek Online forums. Next up, we also have patch notes for emergency maintenance tonight, Thursday night, as of this recording, uh, mostly consisting of crash fixes plus the summer event items like power boards, swimwear, and new floaters from this year are back in the summer event store in the reputation system. These are meant to be available all year long. They were taken out mistakenly. And they're also extending the ability to trade in low buy for pearls and favors until 10 a.m. July 31st. So you can access this in the low buy store under the ships and crews tab which is great because I forgot to do it. I think this is great. I'm going to be hanging out on Ryza a lot more often. Adjudicator Hawk acknowledges user feedback about the DOF UI filter sort options. And I quote, We've heard you guys, and we do have our UI artist and programmer working on adding filtering and sorting options back into the new UI at the soonest possible patch. We've also drastically improved the recommendation sorting algorithm. It will always give you the best chance for a critical success that your available duty officers can provide. Woohoo! Well, this is not enough for those who wish to send specific sets of duty officers on specific missions. It does mean that many missions can now be fire and forget rather than requiring any additional clicks at all to select officers. You said that was very noticeable already, right, Skiff? Oh, yes. Uh, queuing any DOF assignment is uh, you used to have to go through and manually pick almost every single one because it wouldn't it wouldn't pick very good ones. Um, the question I have also is: Did this fix the uh, success poison? What I called success poison? Oh right, right. Hmm. I have to try that out. I haven't looked into that at all. Uh, so the only thing this is going to cause problems with then is uh, when you're doing your Hamlet recreations, you might still have to manually select your officers. Additionally, for those interested in immersion. Thomas the Cryptic Cat has been working overtime and making official write-ups in an image format for many of the new Odyssey uniforms. Now, he is currently working on a guide for all of them, and we will include a link to that gallery in the show notes. All right, Captain, so now we are going to move to a section in Star Trek Online News where we get insights from somebody whose first MMO is Star Trek Online. We have yet to determine a name for this little subsection of Star Trek Online News, but we hand over the mic to our very own Cookie Cupcakes to give us a noob's perspective of Star Trek Online. So when I was first introduced to crafting, this was back last year when I first started, I went to Memory Alpha and went through a little, that little tutorial thing. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me at the time. I remember it was a lot of running around to different rooms, and the amount of specific data samples each item required was pretty high, and some of them I had never even heard of before. I basically didn't have enough of anything to even craft a single item. So 
So I gave up on it right then and there and never went back because it seemed like a waste of time to collect all the different data samples. So I was going into the new crafting system with no experience whatsoever. So my first attempt was on Tribble. So to start, the new crafting system is located in your duty officer assignment tab under R&D. And I went through the tutorial with no problem. By the way, on Holodeck, I didn't even get a tutorial for crafting, so I'm glad I did it on Tribble first. Also, if you don't have 18 free spaces in your duty officer roster, a box will appear in your inventory called Crafting Tutorial Reward Package. So. You just need to make space for it in your duty officer roster. So after the tutorial, I tried to do an assignment on my own. I wasn't really sure where to start because they all said level zero. But most of them said recommended skill level will be determined once all the task parameters are entered. Except for the ones that were in red. I knew I couldn't do those because I didn't have the items or skill level needed. So I just chose one at random and tried to start it and it didn't work. I tried several different ones and was not able to start another project. I followed the tutorial exactly, but it just wouldn't work. So then I was like, okay, and then I went to Ryza. The end. <laughs> well, actually, I did try again later with some guidance from Spooky. Um, the thing I was missing was the finished components. I had the materials, the raw materials, but not the components. I didn't know there was an extra step. Another thing that confused me was when you first look at what is available to craft, some things are in red, which again means that there's something re required that you do not have or the skill level is too high for you. So I knew not to choose those ones. Therefore, I thought the ones that were not in red were okay to go ahead and start without any issues and that I did in fact have everything needed to do it. Well, that isn't exactly the case. It all just depends on what you specifically choose under that category. Each specific item may require something different and perhaps that is why it says recommended skill will be determined once all the task perimeters are entered. Although, I think that, that it should say items required along with recommended skill, if that is actually what they mean, but maybe it's not, I don't know. But basically, I didn't know that I needed to make components because the tutorial didn't go over that. And I think I also got components confused with catalysts, which are the optional way to get a temporary bonus to try to get a better item when you're crafting. Anyway, since the tutorial does not take you through the conversion process, and converting those materials into components, I'm going to briefly go into that now. So first, to convert your old data samples into the new crafting materials, all you need to do is double click on the data sample in your inventory, it has to be in your inventory, or you can right click and press use. Then a box will pop up that will say whatever the new materials will be, so like common crafting materials, uncommon, rare, very rare, etc. So you click on that and hit buy and then use the slider to convert however many you have. You can do up to 100 at a time. Okay, and then they'll disappear. But they're now in your new tab in your inventory labeled R and D. So they won't take up any room in your main inventory, which is really nice. All the missions should drop these crafting materials randomly. PVEQs will also drop them, and elite PVEs will drop higher quality crafting materials. However, depending on what you're playing will depend on what type you get. So. The same PVEs will always get the same type of materials, unless if they change it. They're also available from the C-Store in R&D booster packs, staff assignments, or you can just buy them from the exchange. Okay, so once you have your crafting materials, then you can make components which are required for certain assignments. So 
So let's say you start on the main page. There's seven different categories. Beams, cannons, engineering, ground weapons, projectiles, science, shields. For now. Um, so you pick the category you want to start with. Then click begin. Then choose a specific item at the top and click confirm. Then the item requirements will appear at the bottom left under cost, along with the duty officer requirement above it. So if you don't have the components you need, some or all the boxes will be red. So then you just click on one of the red boxes and it will morph into a new page to make that component. If you have the duty officer and materials needed, you will be able to start the task. It only takes about five seconds for components, except for very rare components, which cost a lithium. They could take up to 30 minutes. You can also access the component tasks a la carte at the bottom of each category section. Once you make the needed components, they will be in your R&D tab in your inventory, and then you can make the item you originally wanted. All items created in the crafting system are unbound and tradable. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. Well, Captains, that wraps up Star Trek Online news this week. We now invite an old friend of the show, Star Trek Online user interface artist Thomas the Cryptic Cat, to chat about Season 9.5, and the new Bortoscu uniform. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Well, Captains, today we're joined by user interface artist Thomas the Cryptic Cat Maroney to talk about the new UI enhancements made to the duty officer system and new research and development systems. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thanks uh, for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's been way too long since you've been on. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So let's jump right in. Uh, Cookie, why don't you go ahead and take the first question? Well, we noticed you mentioned on Twitter that you were involved in the design of the new Odyssey uniforms. Would you like to talk about your involvement in its design? Sure. Uh, that was a really long time ago, so that that kind of started when we did the Starfleet Academy uniforms. The uh, lead character artist at the time, Matt Higgison, uh, designed those, and I think I worked with him a little bit on, on how those looked. And then, uh, you know, so we did those, and we kind of consciously went away from the whole biker jacket look that had been in an STO up until that point. And, you know, Matt and I were talking and we really wanted to see something that felt more um, in line with just the regular, I hate to use the word pajamas, but I can't think of a more fitting <laughs> one. But, you know, something that was that honored the tradition of Star Trek uniforms you saw in TNG, DS9, and Voyager. So we did that with the Starfleet Academy uniforms, and then it came time to do the fleet system. And uh, one of the unlocks we wanted for the fleet system was new costumes. And so Matt came to me and and we kind of put our heads together again and started talking about, okay, well, we did the Starfleet Academy uniform, so what's the officer version of of that? And so um, I did some sketches and he took that and kind of ran with it and refined it. And, you know, it came up with the Odyssey. And so we wanted something that looks sleek. Um, it has cues of the all good things, uh, you know, alternate future uniform with the stripe across the chest, but it still gives you a lot of cool, interesting color combinations with the the stripe and the uh, the piping and the shoulders and the chest area and stuff. So I'm really happy with how it came out. My original version was a bit more uh, like a jumpsuit, like um, 
that you stepped into from the back. So the, my original drawing, it doesn't actually have a uh, seam in the middle of the front. It's it's more like it's like a one-piece jumpsuit, and there's actually like visible piping all the way down from the edge of the shoulder to the to the um, cuff on the pants. So it looked a little kind of wackier. Matt's is a little more the what he ended up making was a little more formal, and I think it, it came out really well. And I'm excited that uh, we decided to you know, put it everywhere in the game. Do you have a favorite? Favorite version of the Odyssey uniform? Mm-hmm. To answer that question, I'll, I'll give a little more history. So we started with the regular fleet uh, Odyssey uniform, and then it came time for Season 9, redoing Earth Space Dock. And it was actually in one of the uh, Nick uh, Taco Fangs or Tumor Boys uh, pitch documents for Earth Space Dock was we should have everybody updated in new 2410 uniforms. And I saw that, and I was like, oh, man, we've got just the thing. We should you know, use the Odyssey uniform, because of the original Star Trek Online uniforms, it's the one that looks like it has the most... It looks most familiar to the, the uniforms from the shows. And so that was a pretty easy sell to our art lead, uh, Brad. Uh, I don't know if he's ever posted anything in the forums or not, but he's uh, he really felt the same way. And you know, we were talking, and, and way back, as far as Season 9... I kind of offhandedly mentioned to him that, you know, it would be, I, I want to do this for a long time, standardize all the Federation NPCs to use one uniform, and that should be the Odyssey uniform, because it's the most Star Trek uniform we've got that's still kind of our own thing, and then give that to players for free. And he agreed with me back then, and then we kind of scheduled some time to come back to it, because we realized if we did that, we would need to give players something else who had already unlocked the Odyssey uniform. We didn't want to just give the existing Odyssey uniform to everybody and then the, the people with fleets who worked really hard to get their fleet star bases up to level 3 and then spend the fleet credits and the lithium on the uh, I think it takes the lithium. Anyway, we didn't want them to just have nothing and everybody else, you know, who didn't have fleets to make away with something. So when we finally came back to it and we decided this is actually what we're going to do, we're going to go ahead and give away the basic Odyssey to everyone in the game and change all the NPCs and do all that stuff, then we needed to design new versions of the Odyssey to provide for the fleet store to make it still a compelling uh, incentive for somebody to level up their fleet and a reward for people who already had done that. So uh, Brad went and designed the new uh, Odyssey dress and Odyssey tactical uniforms uh, and they were both made by one of our really good character artists. He's on the forums, I can't remember his name. He has the Mako avatar. And his name's Ian and he did a really good job. I think of my favorite, my favorite is probably the Odyssey dress uniform because it has shades of the Wrath of Khan in it. That's something Brad really liked and wanted to work into the uniform a bit more. And so I'm just if you couldn't tell, I'm really excited about what we ended up doing and how all that played out. For me personally, the uniforms was a huge sore point, I guess, as far as immersion goes. Like, just looking around and not really seeing any consistency in the uniforms that were there. At least they didn't necessarily appeal to my sensibilities, where I thought Starfleet was going. This has been a really, really fun project to just do this, just to make you know uh, Star Trek Online more immersive for people who love Star Trek and grew up with it. Other than being inspired by the All Good Things uniform, has there been anything else that has drawn some inspiration into the, its design? <laughs> Is this leading into the uh, the thing about the uh, white shoulders on the yep. commanding officer's uniform? Yep, uh, yeah, yep. no, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll cop to that. Um, the... Uh, so, typically, I mean, it's also inspired by Star Trek history a little bit, because captains always have 
you know, some weird uniform variant that you only see them wearing, even though there really isn't a reason that somebody else couldn't have worn the green wraparound that Kirk had or the open jacket that Picard had. But pretty much, you only saw the captains wearing. I don't know if Janeway had one, but um, anyway, I think hers was her hairstyles. <laughs> hers was substituted by Bellana. <laughs> so the idea for that, well, oh, we can do something that. That, that was my kind of my rationalization of making the captain's uniforms different from everyone else. And then the, the way I chose to do that was definitely the white shoulders, which was inspired by Honor Harrington. And again, that actually tracks all the way back to when we made the, uh, the original Honesty uniform in the fleet system. If you notice, the icon when you bought that had that color scheme of white shoulders, the red stripe, and then black chest. So I think there's something else I was going to say about that, but but in general, yeah, it was kind of a, it's kind of a little hat tip to that. I think one thing to keep in mind for people who are interested in that sort of trivia, I call it a you know a captain's variant. It would be better to say commanding officer's variant because you can be in command of a ship and not necessarily be a captain. In fact, for a lot of the game, when you're you know leveling up, you you're a commander of starship, but you're still a lieutenant, right? So you would still be, quote-unquote, in uniform to wear the captain's variant because you are the captain of that ship, even if your actual rank is not captain. Cool point. So was this the first uniform in STO that you personally were involved in the creation of? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's the first, and I've been looking through my old files, and I, I wish I had taken remembered better what exactly I contributed to the Starfleet Academy uniform, but in general, I think it was the Starfleet Academy uniform and then this this Odyssey uniform have been the you know the things I majorly contributed. I didn't have anything to do with how the um, Odyssey dress and Odyssey tactical uniforms came out. That was all uh, Brad and Ian, and I think they did a fantastic job extrapolating on the Odyssey design. I can't wait. I hope we get to do more. I think it's great that we have this like defined style of this is what the you know core arrangement of Starfleet uniforms are going to be like in Star Trek Online, and now how can we play with that, and what kind of cool variants can we come up with? Yeah, I agree. I really liked how STO has come to have a sort of 25th century design aesthetic first for the ships, and now with the uniforms, I think we have a much better sense of Starfleet in this timeline and and what it looks and feels like. And Earth Space Dock, too. Yeah, 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 the architecture, even. Yeah, I'm really excited about that, too. I think that adds a lot to the immersion. And I think if you're a big Star Trek fan and if you've been playing STO for a while, I think that's important. I know it's really important for me to just... I want to feel as much as I can like I'm lost in in the Star Trek universe, right? So anything that we can do to help that out, I think, is a big win for people who are really faithful to play the game and enjoy the story we put out and, and, you know, check all that stuff out. So I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> Did you have any involvement with the Klingon variants? Um, no. And I think some people knew that we had done a lot of that uh, a while back and were able to finally use this as a way to get it out to players. It had been, so it was, I, I had named them if you want, <laughs> if that's, <laughs> I, I was the one who came up, because they used to be called like Bordis Q1, Bordis Q2, Bordis Q3, and I gave them the little monikers and stuff, but no, they were, they were pretty much uh, ready to go when we decided to rearrange the, all this fleet stuff and, and give it to people. Let's take some questions from our listeners. Warbird7 asked on Reddit, are there any plans to collect all the images he's done for Canon STO uniforms into a single official place. Yes, actually, I just did that today. I put it out on, on Twitter. I wrote the Starfleet uniform code 
for 2410 uh, included all of this you know all the uh, color guides I made uh, added a little descriptive text so if you're not sure like what's an enlisted uniform what's the enlisted tactical uniform why is it different than the enlisted service uniform um, there are little descriptions in the uniform code that cover all that for now I have a link on my Twitter that goes to Dropbox I've talked to Laughing Trendy and Captain Smirk and they're going to work on getting all that into the official game guide section on the STO website so look for that I don't know exactly when they're going to be able to finish that up or when that's going to happen uh, when, they, when it does I'm sure they'll tell me and I'll let everybody know but for now uh, you can bother me at, at cryptic underscore TTC and I can you know send you a link for that it's a great document. I love that you added all the uh, flavor text about them with additional descriptions. I wrote the you know the dev blog about these uniforms, and I wrote the little blurb from Admiral Quinn about you know about the transition and you know what, why Starfleet's moving to that and all that. And as soon as I did that, I, in it just as a joke, I referenced the you know the Starfleet uniform code, and I was like, oh man, it'd be cool to actually read that. <laughs> I'm a nerd. I mentioned Honor Harrington before, and that's a really highly detailed military science fiction universe and what I love about it is how detailed it is so any sort of details about that that I can interject into STO not cribbing from Anna Harrington all the time but just the principle of having a really well developed world is really exciting and captains will of course include the link to that PDF in our show notes so be sure to check that out at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash P-O-1-8-3 and a follow up question from The Hayworth on Reddit can these official options be added to the Taylor UI as handy drop-down menu selections? Well, uh, the Odyssey uniform, the basic Odyssey uniform, is already set up. One of the issues with that is that the Taylor is not reliable in applying colors. And if you notice, most of the differences between the various uniform presets or the uniform uh, styles are actually just color differences. Like the officer and enlisted and even cadet tactical uniforms are all exactly the same pieces, they just use different color values. So um, unfortunately, I mean, it's something that uh, I'm going to look into anyway because it's kind of annoying. The other issue is that some of the pieces do use C-Store parts. I was doing these for NPCs and I just wanted them to look the best that I thought they should. So some of them have Starfleet Academy parts. It's really just limited to uh, Starfleet Academy and Wrath of Khan sets. But we can't, if you don't have those C-Store sets, you're not going to be able to see the preset in the drop-down menu. It just won't be visible for you. So that's a little wonky as well. It's something I can look into maybe, but uh, it's not quite as simple as that because of those issues. Oh, that makes sense. I've had that even just applying templates I've saved onto other characters. It can be a little tricky. Also, I appreciate that the strike, the Taylor's Guild strike, was averted after you overloaded them so severely the other night. <laughs> I Yeah, that was fun. It had a weird cause. It was something to do about changing the preview mode for costumes. So I didn't really hear what the fix was or whatever, but I'm glad it was fixed. I'm also glad that it wasn't because we changed how some parts were unlocked and that made everybody throw fits. <laughs> <laughs> I was really nervous when I heard the Taylor was crashing. I was like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> but I don't think it was my fault. So, uh... Also on Reddit, Musly Geek Aaron asked uh, if we could find out if you'll be releasing flag officer dress uniforms or if they just wear the Starfleet officer dress uniform. I believe I mentioned this in the guide um, because I knew people were asking about that stuff. That's why the description text is handy because it, it talks about questions like that. Is that for now, flag officers just wear the normal dress uniform. I, I, someday we might do more in-depth versions of this stuff 
uh, you know, releasing through the C store or some other means. I, I don't know. We haven't talked about any of that. We know we have a really good foundation for new 2410 costumes, but who knows what we'll do next. So for now, it would just be the regular dress uniform. The Mosquito via Reddit asks, are there any plans to make open jacket Odyssey tops to add to the open uniform pack? Well, we've talked about it. We have discussed that. Again, there's nothing solid. I think that's something that uh, Brad would like to do at some point if we have an opportunity to, but it hasn't been scheduled or anything. Uh, he also asks, is there a canon color scheme for the Bortoscu uh, for the Klingon side or the Romulan or Klingon ally uniforms? You know, we do have, for the Romulan fed Klingon ally uniforms, neutral uniforms, I think there are color schemes we're pretty happy with that we use on all the NPCs. We're kind of going to do this one faction at a time. The Romulans were easier because we did them all at once. We did all their missions at once. We did all their costumes. When we did Legacy Realms, we put all that stuff in at once and we, the art lead then had pretty tight control over the way things looked. Whereas, you know, the fed stuff has kind of been building over the last, like, four years or whatever through different art leads and different uh, costume artists and stuff. So I think the Romans are in pretty good shape as far as what uniforms the NPCs are wearing. I think we could do a uniform guide of them eventually. A lot of the stuff that I've done has been on my own time, so I'm kind of exhausted right now. <laughs> I've been trying, working really hard to get this stuff out fast after 9.5 launches so the Foundry authors can have it and that people who are really interested in it can have it, but... Um, we're probably not going to do any more uniform guides right away. It does make sense for the Romulans to have more standardized uniforms. The Klingons, on the other hand, I think there's an argument to be made that Klingons are much more feudal. So, you know, you can kind of think of Starfleet as, like, the United States Navy, for example, that reports to the President of the Federation. It is one organization. It's not a collection of of smaller forces. My understanding of how the whole the Klingon Defense Force works is it's actually, you know, I'm a member of House Moog. I pledge my allegiance, which includes my ships and my troops, to House Martok. And and Martok has a seat on the High Council or whatever. And so we do what the High Council says. But if we're ever in conflict, we can go away and do our own thing. Right? That's kind of how redemption happened, right? You had all these um, loosely allied Klingon factions that just kind of started picking sides and the civil war happened between um, Duras and Garon. So uh, I don't really see the Klingons as being able to, to tell every ship and you know every soldier in the fleet, okay, now you have to wear these uniforms because I think it's much more, you know, these are the colors of my house, you know, Game of Thronesy kind of thing. So I don't know, especially now that the um, Gorn and Orion are, and Nausicans are all part of that mix, it gets a little hairy. I wouldn't necessarily see a Gorn wanting to put on a Klingon uniform unless their cultural assimilation happened a lot faster than it probably actually is, if that makes sense. You know, Thomas, it's been a long time since we've had you back on the show, and I forget how knowledgeable you are on the franchise and of the lore and of the series. And if anybody ever doubts it, they need to just silence themselves up because I don't remember that the name of those uh, episodes was Redemption. I don't remember that. He's got Wikipedia up on his screen. No, I don't. Swear to God, that's all. <laughs> no, 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 no. I forgot, man. I, I absolutely forgot. And, you know, I remember when you were uh, first hired at, at Cryptic Studios. That was one of the biggest things that everybody was like, he knows his Trek. There is no doubt. When you were part of the community, everybody knew that you knew your Trek. A lot of people have been asking me about this lately, so I've, I've, I've had that response. So I think what I can do and what I probably will do at some point is make a 
a guide for the you know it might tweak what they're wearing a bit too for the crew of the Bortos Q, like the actual flagship like those guys are all in the same uniforms and that makes sense and so we can get a color guide for them eventually but but right now i'll just be honest with everybody is i'm really tired <laughs> like I, I i did a lot of this um uh, you know on my own time and i'm really happy to do it i'm really passionate about it and I'm really grateful because I was given a lot of time during my regular work hours to work on this. And, and, you know, it really has nothing to do with my responsibilities as a UI artist at all. Like going through and updating all the costumes, you know, that's not a UI artist job. So the fact that Brad was willing to work with me and let me spend some time during my regular scheduled time to work on it, I think says volumes about his interest in making STM more immersive. But it's also kind of like, I just need a little break, and then I'll, I'll come back and look at doing uh, some more guides for the Romulans and Klingons. Before we move on, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, your position at Cryptic Studios? Because, like we've mentioned, it's been a little while since you've been on the show. Uh, why don't you remind players about what your responsibilities are as UI artist as we move into the discussion about the changes uh, that came with Season 9.5, both in the new R&D system and the DOF UI updates? Sure. So as a UI artist, it's my responsibility to handle asset creation for uh, the game's UI. That generally covers uh, almost everything that's 2D that the player interacts with. So, you know, all the icons, um, all the menus, the design of the windows. That's, you know, that's like 99% of my job right there is I'll do icon, paint icons, both power and uh, item icons, and pretty much all the icons the game needs. We do that in-house. Some other games outsource that stuff, but STO is still still got me. And we have a new. We actually do have another UI artist on the project now, and I'm really excited about that. She hasn't really. Um, I don't think she's decided if she wants to wade into the community yet. She's um, still kind of new to Star Trek, so she's been watching a lot of Voyager and getting used to it and everything. She's, uh, but she's working out really well. But um, anyway, so I, I guess I'm saying that because it used to be that I could take responsibility for every piece of UI art in the game, <laughs> you know, the, the, every new piece of UI art in the game, uh, and uh, I can't do that anymore because I've got help, which is wonderful. And, and actually, her being on the team is kind of one of the things that let me spend the time I did on, you know, working with the Odyssey uniforms. So it's been really great. Anyway, besides icons and stuff, it's also designing the layout for Windows, figuring out uh, how things work, what the flow is. Uh, we call it user flow, UI, user experience, all that stuff. Figuring that out, working with uh, the designers, system designers to kind of capture the goals of you know how we want a system to work and how we want it to interact with the UI. Just stuff, you know, if you you see something on the screen that's not a ship or an environment or an effect. I guess that's kind of kind of my bailiwick. And for new listeners uh, or new members of Star Trek Online that may not know this, Thomas the Cat was actually the designer of the Waveform minigame. Tell a story. Many years ago, I was working in southeast Missouri uh, as a webmaster for university, and Star Trek Online came out. I was so excited. Oh, my God, a Star Trek game that you can play online. Oh, my God. And um, I started playing the game, and, you know, you do the clicky missions, right, where you run up and you scan five things. And I was like, okay, well, it would be really cool if when I scanned the thing, if... Uh, another thing happened and it was like a little mini game I can interact with because I think I had just been playing Mass Effect 2 like the first Mass Effect as well like the first Mass Effect and they I really enjoyed the hacking mini game they had in that and uh, Elite Force uh, Voyager Elite Force 2 had a mini game so just when you interacted with something like making it a bit more uh, 
you're into it, you're engaged in, as opposed to just kind of pressing a button and waiting for something to happen. And so STO was my second MMO, maybe my third if you count champions. So I didn't really know how MMOs worked. I didn't really realize that in a lot of MMOs you just go up to a thing and you press a button and wait for something to happen. So I was really jazzed in this little minigame idea. I was like, oh, this is great. So I made some art mock-ups and put it on the forums, kind of showing my, the ideas I had based on these other games I played. And one of them was the... Uh, sine wave thing that eventually became the uh, scan for anomalies mini game and that was totally uh, cribbed from Elite Force 2 because they had pretty much the same game and uh, I mean I made original art the art was not stolen the idea was stolen (laughs) let's be clear about that so long story short I think I got uh, you know the community recognized it became a really really popular thread in beta and then when it went live I posted the thread again and it was I think twice as popular from went live and so uh, Cryptic eventually took notice they sent me an email said hey we really like your stuff and you know they bought the art and that was really cool and then I a couple months later after all that happened a uh, web design position opened up at Cryptic and I was like oh this is perfect so I because I, that, that was my job right it was a webmaster and I knew I wasn't necessarily going to be able to be hired at Cryptic for a game design job because I had no game design experience but I did have web design experience, so I applied for that. And in my cover letter, I put, you know, hey, you guys already bought art for me, so you must be, you must think I'm pretty great. Um, <laughs> and so that, I love it. So, so <laughs> I didn't quite, I didn't word it exactly like that, but that was definitely the gist. <laughs> I was about to add. Yeah, no, it was the gist. I, pro- I, I have that. I still have that letter somewhere. Oh, it was, the gist was that we have an existing relationship, right? That um, I'm not coming out of nowhere. So no, it just it worked out. I got you know didn't all, went through the whole interview process and everybody remembered who I was and then uh, you know I got hired and this is actually a good segue because I got hired. I, I moved out here from one of the cheapest parts of the country to one of the most expensive parts of the country. <laughs> uh, started working for Atari at that time because we were owned by Atari and so I was working on the website publishing side which was all handled by Atari and then in my off hours I was like okay I have my foot in the door now I actually have to figure out a way to get onto the STO team (laughs) (laughs) so this was a very like I don't know this was like a very convoluted process but it it worked out Um, I spent a lot you know I spent time uh, after our hours just thinking up ideas because I was like okay I'm in the building it's easy it's easier for me to you know give these guys something if I have more ideas so I, I worked on some stuff and then eventually the duty officer system came up and they were like hey we have this new mini game we're working on I think it then it was actually phrased like a mini game and did the duty officer mini game so I actually designed all, did a lot of work on the duty officer thing before I was actually an employee of STO like on the STO team if I remember it right I I think I did some of the yeah some of the mock-ups and then I moved over kind of right before we were bought by Perfect World they moved me over to STO full time but kind of the waveform minigame that's how I got my foot in the door at Cryptic that's epic that's super epic I love that and that's not the first time it happened either I mean Brandon was a, a community member and not the last that. time I think it was the first time I think I was I was the trailblazer trailblazer yeah between Brandon and Jeremy Randall yeah we've we've got a few people who who came in that way I think it's great that Cryptic is so receptive to to doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, you're right. It was a really excellent segue because uh, now let's talk about the new DOF UI system. Sure. My top question, and it was also asked by FuturePass now on Reddit, is can you talk us through some of the thought processes behind the new DOF UI design? So as I mentioned before, I I designed both the old and new DOF UI. I think it's really been an interesting uh, intellectual exercise from a couple different aspects, right? Because 
I designed the original one, so I'm at a point in my career where it's been, uh, I guess, three years, three, you know, two and a half years maybe since I did it. And I was like, and I, when I look back on it, I'm like, oh God, like I can't believe I did that. I'm so embarrassed. And, and not everything about it, but there are a lot of things about it that I, I really was not happy with. And then, so then I see. I see feedback on the forums or what or Reddit or whatever where people are like, "Ah, oh, the the old one is so much better than the new one. I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe. You know what what are they doing?" Which I, I understand where people are coming from. I think there are very some very specific things that that we'll talk about in a minute that we're going to address. Change is always scary for everybody. I, yeah, I I remember I remember saying that one day, and I made an enemy. No, it was on a podcast. I don't remember. It might have been actually on Priority One. Oh, and what was it about? It was about oh, it was about the Earth space dock signs. That's what it was about. Um, we, oh, we were, we yeah, were talking yeah. about our space dock signs, <laughs> and somebody asked me about them because they weren't in a they weren't in the best state. I think when you know when things were going, I don't even was this free to play or something. I don't whatever. Uh, anyway, and I said you know, and somebody asked me, you know, what do you think about the feedback? And I was like, well, you know, I think I think people are just gonna kind of get used to it, and people don't like change. And oh man, this one guy on Twitter really went off on me about you know how you know. You, shouldn't invalidate my opinion because just because you don't think I like change anyway so I learned my lesson you know there's some some things that uh, it went to holodeck with that uh, some issues that we have have already already have planned to address or have already been addressed that just need to are, are waiting to be patched into the game so let me actually answer the question <laughs> the, the thought process behind the new the changes in the duty officer UI so it started with a crafting UI because for a few reasons the first reason is that the Crafting UI uses duty officers, so you know there's natural marriage there. Um, the other reason is that the STO UI, as it stands right now, is extremely dense. There are a lot of different things to get to in a lot of different places, and we didn't really want to try to find a new place for crafting to go by its own. And, and I don't want to add anything else to the drop-down menu in the minimap because that's so hidden. Um, someday, and, you know, who knows when this will happen, when we get time to do this, I would love to really take a hatchet to the minimap and, and, and rearrange things so that they're a lot more discoverable. It, it's not a good situation up there, but anyway. So we decided, okay, we'll stick a crafting into the duty officer window because, you know, they have this, this synergy. And then, and so we started designing the crafting interface, and and we thought, well, while we're doing crafting, uh, this is a good opportunity to kind of look at the duty officer UI and, and see where it doesn't really meet the goals that it has, or where it, it's harder for someone to understand what's going on when they're using the interface. So, um, so that's what we did. I, I d- designed both the UI, uh, you know, the UI layout for crafting and the new duty officer system so it was easy to go back and forth and look at okay this is what we're doing for crafting and you know how does this affect what the duty officer UI should look like so it all fits together it all looks like it's a part of one whole UI so so the major goals in when going you know through and looking at the duty officer UI and the changes we wanted to make to it um, we really wanted to make it clearer what you got for doing duty officer missions it's kind of in the old UI there wasn't really you didn't really understand uh, at a glance what the reason was for sending guys on assignments you know you would click on assignment and then you would have the list of assignments on the left and then you would have the all of the information about the assignment kind of shoved into half a screen on the right it was so densely packed and hard to decipher at a glance that it really was kind of useless you know um, it became useful for people who really mastered the system uh, and 
and that those are the people I think we have to work for now is to bring the new system. I'm really happy with where it is for people who kind of casually doff or, or um, maybe don't even know what kind of rewards or things the duty officer system offers because it was such you know so hard to untangle at, at you know the first time at the first blush the first time you look at it you don't really know what you're looking at or what all the little bars and pie charts and you know uh, what does all that stuff mean so that was a major goal is to untangling that giving things a bit more room so it's easier to actually internalize what's going on and, and understand decipher what what those things are so that's why in the list of assignments you can now see the rewards that every assignment gives you in that list and that's really important because that's the the whole reason for doing them is because you want to get that diplomacy xp or you want to get that dilithium or you want to get that you know that special bridge officer whatever so that was the first thing and the second thing was to on the actual assignments view again we wanted to homogenize it with the crafting ui so that's why we replaced the pie graph with the uh the bar graphs and if you notice i don't know if you guys have played around with it at all but something that's really cool is that just like in the crafting ui when you change what duty officer you have slotted in the duty officer assignment the little bars move so you can see how your duty officer affects the outcome of that assignment we also added information about each outcome on the assignment view so that you know exactly what you're going to get from a critical success in duty offer assignment. We didn't have that before at all. It was just, you know what the chances are, but you don't know what you're going to get. Um, now, next to the bar graph, there are little I info buttons. And if you mouse over that, it'll tell you exactly what a critical success will give you. That so, is so cool. Yeah. So there's a lot of really cool stuff. And, and, you know, we were able to do all that stuff because we made each page more focused on what was important about that page. Um, so when you're slotting duty officers, you know, uh, for an actual assignment, you know, the assignment, you're focused on that assignment, that assignment takes up the whole window. You don't have to worry about the list of assignments or, you know, try and get everything in the just the one little half of the screen. And there's more room for kind of the flavor text up there, which I think is good for people who are interested in that. But but also um, our uh, UI... For what? I'm sorry, for what text? Oh, sorry, flavor text. That's what we would call a little description of the assignment at the top. Um, it's it's not it's not squeezed into a tiny little rectangle uh, with a you know massively on scroll bar. Then the other thing that our our programmers have been working on is uh, significantly improving the algorithm that picks duty officers. Now that you you know in the new UI we have it auto select duty officers for you, which is controversial for uh, people who really you know really really play with the system a lot. But uh, I think for for new users and people who are going to try to explore the system, it's useful. So the weighting on that now is it, it automatically goes for critical success. Um, that is the the system will automatically put that outcome. You know, we'll we'll try to slot duty officers that will maximize your chance for critical success. Oh, cool! That kind of um, answers something that Skiffy and I were looking at uh, last night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might not be quite perfect yet. There's still some iterations, and there is a lot of things that that even now we're still working on that haven't made it live. I mean, keep in mind when when people, even when we patch, you know, we patched this morning, I believe, still the the version that you're getting is at least at least maybe a day, maybe sometimes two or three days behind what we've been doing. Uh, in the office. So if it seems like we're not responding to feedback, we actually are, and you know, we might have actually done it already. It just takes a while to ca- for the live version of the game to catch up with what we've been working on. And that is certainly the case for the changes we've been making uh, to the duty officer UI based on uh, your feedback. I'm a, bit, I'm a fan of it. I really do. Um, I think you made a really good point that there are 
several types of players. There are players that are master masters at the duty officer system who are going to be more resistant towards change. But I am more of a casual player when it comes to the duty officer system. Um, and I find it to be more streamlined. I absolutely find it to be more streamlined and easier for me to read. And I like that it auto-selects the DOFs for me. I actually just jumped in the game too so I can also follow because I've, I've played around with it but I didn't even I never even hovered over the, the little eye you know the indicators and that's awesome that's an excellent touch to informing players of what uh, what they're going to receive in, in a critical success I, I that's phenomenal yeah there are more things coming that in that vein I think that casual players and uh, and the, the people who powered off uh, will, will appreciate things we've been talking about I'm not sure exactly when they'll happen I, I, I'm pretty sure they will happen is actually Farktoid Phil Farkley announced, you know, tweeted on uh, a little bit ago that sorting is in. So we, you know, we we knew uh, we knew quite a while ago that we were going to have it. It just it's just one of those things where it was going to be done when it was done. So I think I don't know if we have a question on that or not. So you you will be able to sort and filter your DOFs probably as soon as you know whenever the next build goes out. Can you elaborate on, on the filtering? Where where would the filtering happen like in order to filter for science engineering or the actual DOFs themselves right so it's not not the list of assignments that's something we could consider uh, filtering for assignments but the the main issue that uh, power offers have been having is that you know we launched this system without a way to filter duty officers when I'm picking from a list when I'm assigning them to an assignment so if I go to an assignment and then I click on select it's going to show me all the DOFs in my roster that qualify for that slot. Ah. Now, usually for, for a lot of players that's who are more casual about it, that's okay because you know, just use the person who is default there or if you open it up. Uh, the weighting of that list means that the people who crit better are going to you know, float to the top. So you're probably going to pick one of the, the people at the top. But uh, we understand, obviously, there are people who want to pick somebody with a very specific trait because, or pick somebody who doesn't have a specific trait because they want to use that on another assignment somewhere else. So the filters we're adding will be to be able to include or exclude traits. Um, you'll also be able to include and exclude rarities. And I think these were in the old DOF UI. And uh, one of the nice things about the new filters in the new DOF UI is that they will only include traits that are in the list of like traits of duty officers you have. So if you don't have a duty officer that has resolve, that's not going to be in your list of traits you know, filter, to filter with. Um, so it's going to be really smart. Um, the other thing is it, it's going to, the filter is going to show you which traits actually contribute to an assignment one way or the other. So in the list of filters, you'll see a list of traits and you'll see that, um, we'll just use resolve again, Re resolve is green. And so you, okay, resolve is really good for this assignment. I'm going to click that to show only the DOFs that have that because I want to, uh, you know, I want to use one of those on this assignment. So uh, the filters are actually really cool. I was looking at it today with our UI programmer. He did a really, really good job of uh, making them even even more useful than they used to be. And also you can filter by, just so, so people don't get scared, you can filter by specialization. We also added a new way to sort so that you can have it do the default sort by weight um, or you can have it sort by department. Sir Boulevard writes in via Reddit. First, this is directed for Thomas, who I've had the pleasure of talking a lot recently. Thanks for being open, honest, and working with the community. Uh, his second question is, uh, Weekend has hats, <laughs> including the uh, Pike hat 
uh, and that Honor Harrington beret that he knows you want. <laughs> and uh, when it comes to Foundry UI, um, he asks if there's any chance of getting a Harper system from Neverwinter equivalent at the exploration clusters and bars throughout the galaxy. I think that's a really cool idea. I, I'm not sure, you know, all that stuff is decided way over my head. I would love to make it easier for people to play and find, or in the right order, find and play Foundry content. And I think the way you do it is by making it available in the environment. And, you know, so whatever we can do there, um, I'm absolutely on board with doing that. I have absolutely no say in if we do it. I'm not sure. I'll have to look at how Neverwinter does it exactly. I think probably what you would have to do, I mean, and this is me talking what I would do, not what STO is going to do, is I would make it so that the prime thing about that place is the exploration content, the foundry content or whatever. Because um, one of the things I've noticed when I've been playing Neverwinter is I would see a Harper, but I'd be in the middle of doing all my zone quests and stuff, and I wouldn't really want to stop in the middle of what I was doing with um, all that and do a foundry quest instead, right? Because I'm just, you know, I, I'm in the middle of something. So basically we'd want an area, I think, where you the whole purpose for going there is to see what you can find and you know, kind of come across these foundry missions and explore them. So who knows how, what that'll look like, if that'll happen. But I think it would be cool. Guys, I promise not to go into my foundry rants. That's fine. I've already, I've already voiced it. I've been listening uh, the last few shows, and I, um, it, you guys have some interesting ideas, but, uh, you know, obviously I'm a low man on the totem pole, so uh, I, I think, I think the, the key to the foundry success is, uh, you know, if we get a chance, we should, I would love to spend some time on the foundry UI, make it easier for people to play foundry missions, and, um, and kind of give people's incentives to to play foundry missions and it's an interesting problem i think there are solutions uh you know we'll see where, where the future takes us as far as the foundry is concerned larry on facebook expressed concern over the new size of the ui uh could you help listeners understand the direction of that and why it would behoove sto to go towards uh, larger icons and kind of larger working areas per assignment so again, the size of the UI has a lot to do with we wanted to show more information when you were actually making your choice about what assignment to do, and you, it's a lot easier to make a choice between assignments if you can see at a glance what your choices actually are. So in the old Duty Officer UI, yes, you could fit a lot of assignments on the screen at once, a lot more than we currently have, but you could also only look at the details of, you know, only look at the rewards for each one individually. If you're a power doffer and you probably, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who just have the assignments memorized by title, and so they don't need to know what, um, how much dilithium that assignment gives, because you probably, it's probably going to give you five. But the, uh, you know, in that case, uh, we've been looking at ways of, and I've actually started a mock-up for this, so hopefully, hopefully we can get in and soon, uh, you know, I can't promise anything, but we've been looking at offering a way to collapse the list of assignments in the duty officer window so that if you don't want to see the rewards and requirements information for an assignment, you can collapse that and then you get a much tighter list that has a lot more things on it at once. So the, the best solution for these kinds of things where you're trying to solve two problems is really to have two solutions. So we have the, the default solution for people who are new to the duty officer interface or who kind of do it casually you know, or want that information at a glance is the large view that shows you more information 
uh, when you're making that choice. And then if you've already made that choice and you're just looking for a specific assignment, uh, then we have the collapse view for you. So that's something we're taking a look at. Hopefully we can get it in. I think that would uh, help a lot of people who have problems with new UI. Uh, I think that would solve a lot of their, their issues with it. As part of that, one of the other things we want to do is really improve the tooltips for the reward windows and requires windows on that assignment list so that instead of having the mouse... So right now it's, you know... Um, a row of about 10 icons, you know, usually it's like five five in the uh, rewards section and then it can be three to five in the requires section. And some of them are, are really vague because they're the slot icon for duty officers and to actually know what's explicitly what the duty officer is, uh, you have to mouse over it. And so instead of having the currently, you have to mouse over each individual duty officer to kind of get a sense of what that assignment requires. Um, and this is admittedly a step backward from the old UI because in the old UI, when you clicked on an assignment, you would see um, you would see usually one or two of the slots you know, on the left and you'd scroll down to see more. And you'd also see, uh, if I recall correctly, you'd also see what traits modified that slot. So having said all that, uh, one of the other things we want to add is really uh, robust tooltips for um, the assignments. Uh, you know, when you're, you're choosing your assignment, when you're looking at the list of assignments, we want a robust tooltip there that when you mouse over any one of the requirements, you would see a tooltip that has all of them listed, uh, including the, you know, the traits and uh, the traits that affect them. Uh, same for rewards, that it would actually list the name of the rewards so you wouldn't be relying on just the icon to kind of make your decisions. So that's that's something that we've, you know, we've mocked up and uh, hopefully we'll get in. I, I, again, this is all sort of in process, but um, but I think that'll address a lot of the concerns uh, between the collapse mode and then offering more robust tooltips that should give people back the amount of information they had and more, you know, with this new UI design. Yeah, between that and uh, sorting and filtering, I don't really see any major complaints remaining that I've heard. I was going to actually follow up, and we talked briefly about this uh, before we started recording here. This also would might help with uh, the design of a of a gateway. You know, for it to be a web portal or something that uh, is easily accessible on a tablet or mobile device. No. Yeah, absolutely. That's something I think uh, Al Rivera has mentioned. You know, Captain Gecko has mentioned a few times um, with crafting and with duty officer revamping the design is is a lot more gateway friendly because. You know, you have you have these different tasks that are now you don't have two or three things to do on one screen. You, you know, this is the screen where I pick my assignments. This is the screen where I slot my duty officers. It's not trying to juggle these halves and things. It's a lot more suitable for tablets and mobile devices. But you know, I think I want to I want to say too that um, that that has been that's kind of been in the back of our mind. But I. I do actually stand by the, the, the changes we made because I think it is it's less cluttered, it's easier to understand, it's just a cleaner interface than the old duty officer UI was. So even if gateway weren't a factor, I, I think we still would have ended up with the design choices we made, um, especially when you factor in all the stuff we we're planning to do in the, in the very short term to kind of address the issues that people have with the system. Sunseal asked via Facebook, are there any current plans to bring in more UI theme elements? So, for example, uh, a Breen, a Jem'Hadar, or Zindi interface. She writes, it would add a bit more immersion for people who love playing those ships. That's interesting. It certainly would be a lot easier to do now after Legacy Romulus than it was before Legacy Romulus. Oh, talk about PTSD. Uh, that was a that was rough. Um, but the uh, the uh, you know I think we want to save that stuff for 
you know, changing your changing the UI, I think we want to make that a really big deal. Uh, you know, I guess we could always offer more color schemes. It's just a matter of um, making that a priority. So if it's something that people keep asking about, I could see us doing that. You know, I, I, to be perfectly honest, I don't think we have any major plans as far as that's concerned right now, but that doesn't mean we couldn't do anything in the future if it's something that, that people kept, uh, you know, were, were interested in. Sir Fragula on Reddit asks, can we expect anything more in the way of UI customization? The thing is, for not allowing modding, SEO's UI is actually pretty customizable. I guess I kind of have to show my colors here. I didn't really come from WoW, so I don't necessarily know what the gold standard is in terms of customizability, because I know in, in WoW you can... Um, you know, you can have all sorts of crazy mods and, and do pretty much whatever you want with, with the HUD. I mean, obviously in STO, if you hit escape and then you hit, uh, there's a button there that's like rearrange, I don't know if it's rearrange HUD or rearrange screen or something like that. Um, so that lets you resize and move and even hide a lot of UI elements. I think for a variety of reasons, I don't know if we'll ever allow full on modding like WoW has. Um, but as we work on the HUD, and now we have another UI artist, I mean, that does uh, open up some options, excuse me, to, to uh, look into other things we can do with the UI, and some of that might allow even more ways to customize it. But in case you didn't know, you can, you know, you can rearrange your HUD elements by pressing uh, escape and going to that menu, or you can hit uh, F12 on your keyboard, and that will also bring the rearrange HUD screen up. The other thing you can do is actually change color palettes, which was kind of touched on the previous uh, question. To do that, you go to uh, your options menu, go to the basic tab, and towards the bottom, uh, I believe there is a drop-down menu for color palettes, and there are a bunch of options there that let you change the uh, the colors of your uh, your L cars. You know, the default ones are default per faction, and then. Um, you can select uh, a different one if you want. So you can even be play a Federation character and use the, uh, I don't know, Orion color scheme if you really wanted. That's the one I'm using because it has the most pink in it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, you know, there are some cool options there, especially if you're, like, if you're a Klingon, if you, you know, roll the Gorn and you're playing the Klingon Empire, but you want to have the kind of a Gorn color scheme that, that lets you have a non-red color scheme as a Klingon player. Um, so, so the color schemes are fun. They give you a little bit of customizability. Aaron via Facebook expressed concern that a lot of the feedback on the forums might have gone unnoticed. Uh, what is the process of dealing with feedback from Tribble? Well, it absolutely did not go unnoticed, and I think it's you know we can we can prove that by the fact that the uh, sorting stuff will go live in the next patch. No, we're always you know we're browsing. Uh, you know, a lot of people check out Tribble every time we we push something new to Tribble. Uh, we're looking at what the um, the feedback is, and, and remember what I said before, where a lot of the things that we do, even though technically could have made it, you know, it it was finished the day before the build went triple or whatever, it's still not necessarily going to make it into the the build process to actually go live yet. So. Um, so what you guys are seeing on Tribble uh, in kind of these release heavy times right after a big uh, a big launch um, is you know a day, two days, sometimes if you know three or four days depending behind what we've done and what, how we've how we've responded to feedback uh, by changes we've made. So we obviously get feedback sent to us from our community managers. We a lot of time we're looking in there ourselves. Some people like Jeff, uh, educator Hawk. Um, are really good about discussing the reasons and the uh, going through a conversation. 
uh, about the changes. I I probably could be better lately, uh, but we do hear what people are saying, and hopefully the things I've discussed are all a direct result of power. You know, people who are really uh, into you know uh, micromanaging the DOF system, all things that are going to benefit them directly. So um, their feedback is definitely heard, and we are working on it right now. So Dadier uh, asked via Reddit, uh, would it be possible to add a search bar for the inventory and bank? Uh, he mentioned some WoW add-ons uh, allow that to be done. Um, I guess it would be possible. I, I don't know. I'm, we, I'd have to talk to the UI programmer about that. Uh, so it might not be possible. I have to see what he says. Um, I have no idea how you know, the back end of all that stuff is handled. Uh, I think that'd be cool. Uh, I think he's right. I think especially when you get to like your guild banks and stuff, there's there's just a ton of stuff. Um, I'm really happy we added the separate bag for uh, crafting stuff. Uh, I think that was that was oh, a welcome yes, change. That's yes. wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll make some noise about that and see if we can get anywhere with it. Cool. First Dragon three twenty three asks on Reddit when the new user interface was added in the Legacy of Romulus release. I noticed that the new UI actually uses more resources on a computer's graphics card via testing. Is there any plans to solve this little problem? It actually led me personally to reduce my screen resolution to increase my frames per second. Yeah, so the performance of the UI is a, you know, it's a hot button issue for some players. At Cryptic, we have some software engineers who are constantly taking a look at how the UI system works and how many resources it uses. And our UI programmer certainly is is looking at that stuff too. So we're always looking to make uh, optimizations. I think that now that we went through the work of of changing the UI over with Legacy Romulus, I, I want to be careful here. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you a very detailed answer because this really isn't what I'm very knowledgeable about. I'm, I'm more the front end, the art side, um, whereas a, a programmer might be able to m answer this more completely. But the gist of it is that uh, we have a lot of projects going on that, that are, you know, the benefit from faster frame rate. Uh, and we're, you know, the nice thing about being at a company like Cryptic that owns its own engine is you can work on that stuff directly. We have a lot of people, a lot of really talented people looking at, at this issue and uh, things that they do benefit us. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful it'll improve in the future. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't really directly answer this. Uh, I'm sure it's not a very satisfactory answer, but we know it's an issue and we know that uh, we're, we're, we're trying to improve it. Well, I think that's fair. Now, getting into some of the real hard-hitting issues, a known Reddit troll called Farkamon says, tell us about your cat, Luna. And, and we know she's here with you tonight, even though she hasn't had too much to add to the interview questions. And she seems kind of aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I think she's mad that I'm not paying attention to her. I found her at a taco truck. Uh, well, my, my friend found her at a taco truck. Oh, here she comes. She heard me talking about her. She uh, No, she was a stray uh, hanging out. Uh, she was about six months old. She was hanging out at a taco truck, and my friend, uh, my friend who I had cat sit before um, called me, and she's like, Thomas. <laughs> she knew that I was kind of thinking about getting I was kind of thinking about it, but I hadn't really made any, you know, any serious moves one way or the other to get a cat. And she's like, Thomas, you have to come here and meet this cat. This is this cat is so precious. And uh, you know, so I went and met her, and she was really small, and she was really sweet, but she was really friendly, uh, mainly because she wanted tacos. <laughs> but she came up to you, and she let you pet her, and she jumped on your lap, and everything. And I was really, uh, it w I was an easy sell at that point. So we pretty much just uh, stole her, just kidnapped her. We asked the people at the truck if anybody owned her, if they saw anybody with her, and. They're just like, no, she's a stray, and so my friend's boyfriend had a cat, so he had a cat carrier, so we got that and brought it back, and 
just kind of took her <laughs> and uh and she's really cute uh she likes to watch me play sto sometimes i've tweeted a few pictures uh my favorite thing mm-hmm. was I, i'm looking at those <laughs> pictures right now my favorite thing was the other day uh when i had a one of my characters is occasion obviously and uh i had him up on the screen and his tail was twitching around and she like she like jumped up on the chair and then jumped up onto the desk and just like sat with her face like half an inch away from the monitor watching the tail of the cation flick back and forth it was pretty great i took a video but i couldn't i didn't wasn't able to upload it yet so I, that's luna you can put a picture in the show notes if you really want to <laughs> Counter JMB asks on Reddit, not really STO related, can you take a picture of your desk and post it? I'm a sick voyeur like that. Before you answer, you have a pretty epic setup at uh, at Cryptic. And I remember if I if I'm not mistaken, you were kind of you were kind of uh, apprehensive of us taking a picture of your of your area cuz you have some uh, questionable franchise tastes uh, surrounding your desks, huh? Uh-huh. What? Are you talking about my Star Wars Legos? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> listen, George K says it's okay to like both. So listen to Sulu, and uh, it's okay uh, to be Takei for Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. <laughs> Actually, you know what's funny? This is going to be a total aside, but I've been getting into this Lego game called Mobile Frame Zero. Oh, yeah. You basically build little Lego robots, and it's super fun, but I'm, like, starting to... Like, I'm I'm, I'm hungrily eyeing all my Star Wars Lego sets because I'm like, oh, man, there's so many good pieces in there. Yeah, they have such <laughs> good pieces for that. I could just tear them down. It's like Battletech with Legos. <laughs> so, yeah, if you guys come back, uh, if you guys are ever back at, at Cryptic, you'll see my... I've got a couple really tall... Uh, Tupperware shelving systems that have a bunch of Legos in them now because because of that thing. Yeah, Tumor Boy and Farcomon were were trying to profiteer off of uh, <laughs> Counter JMB's question. If Tumor Boy ever goes to your house, does Luna run up to Taco Fangs? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's Nick has never been to my house, so now the gauntlet has been thrown down. Nick, I dare you. <laughs> my uh, my friend who found her uh, and told me to come get her, she wanted to name the cat Taco, and I was not having any of that. <laughs> so, no, she's she's too pretty. She's too pretty to be a taco. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas, this is the point of the interview where we uh, leave the mic open to you. Is there anything that you want to make sure the community is aware of? Uh, any projects that you can talk about uh, that are coming down the pipe? Anything about Vegas? I want to take an opportunity to thank everybody who donated to Priority One's campaign so that they can all uh, join us in Vegas. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see them. Uh, So thank you, community, for making that happen. And otherwise, uh, I hope everybody really enjoys the uh, Odyssey uniforms. That's I I tweeted about this recently. I've done a lot of stuff for STO, um, a lot of UI stuff, uh, including you know rebuilding the UI. But I think standardizing the the uniform that the Starfleet characters wear is probably the thing I'm the most proud of. (laughs) Just uh, because I I just care that much about immersion. So I hope people enjoy that. And uh, you know. Otherwise, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot. Vegas is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see you guys there and kind of talk to everybody from from Vegas. It's going to be great. All right, captains. Well, that wraps up our interview. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. 
All right, Captains, we are at the part of the show where we open healing frequencies for your responses to episode 182's community questions. The first question being, would you play Foundry missions that were spotlighted by Star Trek Online and tied in with story between featured episodes? Our second question, are you going to Star Trek Las Vegas? Because we want to know. We want to meet up with you. We want to plan events. We want to plan parties and outings. We want to be up until 5 in the morning with you. Well, maybe not 5. But 1 in the morning with you guys. So uh, so let us know. Our first reply comes from Castmodian via PriorityOnePodcast.com. And they write, I wouldn't limit play to just missions to expand on the already laid down story. One of the things about Star Trek is that it's an entire universe to explore and used to explore the human condition through others. That is not just limited to following a select group of players or stories. While touchstoning is certainly entertaining, some of the best missions build their own mythos while staying true to the overall theme of the universe I find. You're not talking about like sanctioning that this is canon in the story of STO. Just like, Uh, right. hey, this is a good story exploring some of the same themes or ideas and... Absolutely, because even Christine's RP story in Star Trek Magazine was not that. It was not a, a canon, Star Trek Online canonized story arc. It was a touchstone to surface tension, where Captain Sean Randy quaded himself into the Planet Killer. It was a nice touchstone, and it told a separate story. That story that's in Star Trek Magazine... I think could be translated into a really good escort mission, for instance, where you have to escort Captain Sean in the Aquarius to its uh, to the Enterprise, and along the way something happens. That's a nice story to tell. I think that 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 would satiate the desire for content in between featured episodes. Some guy commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, and by the way, I don't believe that this was Al Rivera. I would definitely play spotlight missions only if they tied into the story in some way. I usually play one to two Foundry episodes every week. There are some great ones and some bad ones. Keep up the great work. Thank you, some guy. Vivian Anthony writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com. I love to hear your discussion, but to believe that Foundry is a replacement for exploration, the very basis of Star Trek, I don't think it can be or will ever be. As a gap content, definitely. As for random exploration with unexpected events due to exploring a sector, Foundry is not a replacement to that. This is the first time I just had to turn off Priority One Podcast. All right, listen, Vivian, I don't understand why you feel that the Foundry could not be a replacement to that. Why? I mean, they are created in a similar format to that of official missions created by by Star Trek. I mean, certainly developers have better tools at their disposal and 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 more assets, but why could the Foundry not be a replacement for that? I am not a big aficionado of of fan fiction period. I'm not. I'm absolutely not. But if there are other people screening the missions for me and if they're spotlighted by by a publication like Star Trek magazine or on the front page of Star Trek online and they're given the blessing of being these side stories, why shouldn't Foundry authors be recognized for that type of storytelling? Yeah, I agree. And I I have to just say, it's a red herring to say Foundry is or isn't a replacement to exploration in the form of the exploration clusters. 
in my opinion, they did already not epitomize Star Trek exploration. They were go scan five things or go kill five things. That's not the heart of Star Trek. Boundary missions, I think I agree with Vivian that they're kind of gap content because an actual exploration system that's like robust and what the, what the devs really want is extremely challenging. Why not use the foundry to do that? Well, I agree. I'm just I'm just saying this talk comparing it to the exploration clusters is a red herring cuz they already weren't exploration. We're not right, really talking they about weren't. replacing exploration. We're talking about replacing those with spotlighting foundry missions. It's an opportunity to to highlight the foundry even more, which I think is cool. And it would be nothing but an upgrade cuz you would be replacing procedural generated content which is computer randomized stuff with handcrafted missions. They weren't handcrafted by the devs, but they were handcrafted by talented foundry authors. Why not support them? Exactly. Oh, and and by the way, Vivienne, don't ever cut off priority one. Don't you ever turn it off mid episode? <laughs> I don't know what you th- what, who you think you are, but don't you ever turn off priority mm-hmm. one mid episode? All right. Wow, verbally attacking the listeners. This is great. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle, <laughs> that's right. Shimrocksky writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com, First and foremost, congrats on reaching your stretch goals on the Indiegogo. Yay! No, 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 no. It's not congrats to us. It's, it's congrats to the community. It's because of you that we have reached these goals. I apologize, Shemrocksky. Your feedback is incorrect. Elijah has spoken. (laughs) (laughs) Now all of you will be there. I personally am trying very hard to make it to Vegas myself. Fingers crossed. I already play Foundry all the time. It's a great source for exploration content. Could it be made more user-friendly? Is a frog's butt watertight. (laughs) That being said, I do like the idea of them being linked to the exploration clusters. On the Star Trek online forum post for this episode, Gray Fox James writes, Yes, I would definitely play Foundry missions tied to story and exploration. I support your great idea and hereby code the project The Elijah Experience. In fact, I could see myself doing Grind STF, Foundry, Grind, something else, Foundry, Grind, some more, back to a Foundry, you get the picture. This way, it would feel more story-oriented, and you wouldn't feel like STO is a second job. I think more players would log in more often for story content, and the grinding aspect of the game would just come naturally through story play. The Elijah experience. It sounds like a, I don't know, a theme park ride that I don't know if I would go on. Woody Valley writes in uh, via PriorityOnePodcast.com. It's a good idea to have a tie-in of foundry and exploration. Just does it have to be a spotlighted mission? There are good authors out there, but there are good authors that never see the light of day. Why don't we give them the opportunity to show their work in the explorations? I don't disagree. I don't disagree that there are there are the unsung heroes of the Foundry. There are people who have authored some amazingly plotted missions with phenomenal story arc that just they, they that don't make it to the, the top of the heap but that's why there should be foundry community moderators just like there are forum moderators and a maybe a better voting system yeah the ui has some issues searching and and setting keywords and stuff i agree i think that there are some unsung here there are some amazingly unsung playwrights and screenwriters who have written some phenomenal things that never make it to stage and never make it to uh, Broadway or, or the uh, the West End or Hollywood. And then there's Cats that makes it somehow. 
And then there's cats. That makes it. Right. You are 100% correct. Yo, don't hate on T.S. Eliot. <laughs> so, you know, there, there needs to be a level of, of balance between community and development approved mission. So the Grand Neg is posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. I think it's pretty obvious I would play any spotlighted foundry missions. That said, I think the key to getting the average player to do it is A, making sure they're actually aware of the foundry, and B, attaching rewards that people actually want enough to invest the time, as many foundry missions are rather lengthy. On the subject of length, one of the main things I want fixed with the foundry is where if you come back to a mission you were playing before, you can load directly to the map you were last on rather than having to reload through every previous map. That process is a turnoff to me, and I love the foundry, so I can only imagine it's an even bigger turnoff to someone who doesn't have that love. I, I agree with the Nagus. I experienced that a while back. Oh, gosh, I forget what mission I was. It was a, it was a good one. Darn, it's been a little while. But I definitely... Was it I Overture? Had to, no, it wasn't Overture, uh, but it was another one that had a lot of map transitions, and, like, the maps were still cleared when I went back in, but I had to, like travel through all of them to get back to where I was because I got booted from the game or something, I forget. Eldarian79 writes on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. Question one. Unless the Foundry mission is actually dev-supported and put in the game permanently, not going away with a Foundry bug during season releases? Well, I have played a number of Foundry missions and gave feedback. They are just fan fiction. Question two. If there is a dev STO panel next year, I will go. So Brian Eaton, uh, a.k.a. Sir Boulevard, tweeted to us uh, to at PWE uh, Captain Smirk and Priority One. It's irritating to me that so many people view the Foundry as not real content. Dan Koheiser posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. I would play the Foundry missions tied to story as it would create more variety in the game and possibly be very interesting to see these side stories develop more. Dan also mentioned his crafting observations. Last night, I got an update to my Tribble account, and a new DOF mission became available that gives 95-99 XP after 20-hour cooldown. I was able to slot more than one. This changes my numbers to being 61 days before I max out one school with my playtime. This is acceptable to me. I have to figure out the rest in overall times yet, but it looks like uh, less than two years, maybe even less than one year to get all seven max for me. This is a great change in my book. Or you can do Skippy's way and have it done in two hours. That's special. <laughs> <laughs> we also had a few other comments in regards to crafting. Kazimir Parin commented on the Star Trek online forum post for this episode. As a big crafter in other MMO games, I'm looking forward to the new crafting system. However, I do not agree with the approach of tying specific, very rare materials to certain queues. While this may boost interest in some of the more neglected queues for a short period of time, after a while they will most likely be empty again. Also, I feel that this system doesn't properly allow for a crafter class of player. Instead of being able to farm every material in the game universe, a la the old exploration clusters, one has to repeatedly queue in elite PvE to craft. While the fight enemies to be able to craft good gear works in some games, given how crafting materials were and are obtained in missions, scanning anomalies seems somewhat backwards in this one. 
Well, Captains, each week our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. So please keep them coming. You can reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast. Follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One or shoot an email to incoming at priority one podcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 183 of Priority One Podcast, recorded live on Trek Radio, starting at around 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And you can subscribe by pointing your podcast catcher at feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you, so let us know what you think of the show, and submit your responses to our community question in the comment section on our site, or on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. You can even join the Priority One podcast chat in game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Captains, a very special thanks to everyone who has contributed to our Indiegogo campaign and who has loyally gotten us to Star Trek Las Vegas to represent you at the convention. Thank you for getting us there. Without you, Captains, none of this would be possible. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Goat Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. A very special thanks to our guest, user interface artist Thomas the Cryptic Cat. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Skiffy, audio assistant, Ben Churchill, and QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. Thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com, and new partner, Cosplay Sky. Captains, it's time to be in uniform. So get ready for Star Trek Las Vegas and visit CosplaySky.com and use promo code P, the number one pod, at checkout to save 10%. That's P1POD. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our loyal listeners, those of you that listen to us every week, every Monday, on your way to work, on your way to school. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapon. Engage. Ha ha ha. Burst. Uh, somebody. What is this? Butt matter. Who wrote butt matter? <laughs> oh. Bio matter. <laughs>
then it says burst right after it. <laughs> <laughs> who, who wrote that? That's, wasn't that wasn't me. That wasn't me either. I mean, did I typo that? There's no way I could have typed <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it was Cookie. You know who. <laughs> Elijah? Oh, I'm sorry. Additionally, for those interested in immersion... Wait, wait, wait I, I'm sorry. Are, are we interrupting you? Would you like to go back to whatever you were doing? Because uh, we kind of have a show here. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Love I'm you, always man. doing something for Priority One Podcast. <laughs> I was currently checking up on the tweets that we were mentioned in, okay? Yeah, yeah when, so, when we took that quick musical break, were you doing something for Priority One, or was that for yourself? He was, was doing <laughs> something for P1. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good night, David. We have yet to determine a name for this little subsection of Star Trek Online news, but we hand over the mic to our very own Cookie Cupcakes to give us a noob's perspective of Star Trek Online. In our new segment entitled Cookies for Cupcakes. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> or information for new people. <laughs> Cookies noobs. No! <laughs> Sun Seahall says cookies, crumbs. Uh, oh, that's a good one. I like that. Cookies, crumbs. Um, cookie. No, it has to be like that, uh, <laughs> that Jim Carrey movie at the end. She just says, and that's the way the cookie crumbles. I am not Bruce Almighty. It's Bruce Almighty. All yeah, right. That's right. It is Bruce Almighty. Cookies right. for cupcakes. You want me to say this too? Nobody's listening or paying attention right now. Well, I, don't, I don't have that document. It's not in Stone News. Where is it? It's in it's, the next... The yeah, well, you... Captains. You want me to say that, too? Yeah. Uh, no, no. No, no. Okay. no. It's like, she's like, nobody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped you and corrected you. Obviously, I'm listening. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, Captains... <laughs> Jeez, take it, take it. <laughs> We're also joined by user interface artist Thomas the Cryptic Cat. What? Gray Fox James from www.liberty. Whoa. Whoa. I <laughs> Isn't it oh, I'm sorry. Else? Yeah, we're doing. Uh, it's my bad. Uh, Captain, let's trek out. Let's trek out whatever Elijah tells me we're going to trek out. <laughs> what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We can't talk about it. No, that. it doesn't this time. What happens in <laughs> Vegas gets podcasted by Priority One. <laughs> One podcast chat in game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space. Priority one. That's just for you guys. I miss that when you're gone. I, I expected it from Tony last week and he didn't do it. In game. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. Thanks for, you know, getting us where we are and you know, all the other things and, you know, Vegas, woo! Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Man. Captains, we thank you for tuning in live to episode 183 of Priority One Podcast on TrekRadio.net. Stay tuned for our edited show on Monday. Oh, it'll be edited. Oh, yes. 
All right, captains. Today we're joined by user interface. Inner, inner, interface. Here we go. Good start. In her face. In her face, <laughs> artist. Okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good at all. Time people hear the show. I'm not sure when the show goes out. Um, the wait, uh, wait a minute, every Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Well. Um. And it can stack if it bonus if it. <clears throat> Skippy, <laughs> would you get your cursor off of my thing? <laughs> so she almost made it through the whole thing without call yelling at you for I that. I was trying to ignore you. And Good radio, it folks. Good radio. <laughs> and it can stack. Skippy, get off.